Hello and welcome to this week's of Photographic Life from a very cold shed. It's actually minus one in here as I'm recording. I, yes, I have got the heater on, but it doesn't seem to be making a lot of difference. Anyway, uh, let's move on, shall we? And I want to talk about this week, perhaps the most important aspect of photography. Uh, one of the things I hear an awful lot about is the how. And what I'm really interested in, always, as regular listeners will know, is the why. And for me, why uh, connects directly with subject matter. What are we going to photograph and why are we going to photograph it? Once we've made those decisions, then we can talk about the how we're going to photograph it, the where, the when, the who, the what. But without the why, I think we've got a problem. Now, I also see a lot of photographers talking about style and should I have this style? Well, I've spoken previously about the problem with style and that's that it's transitory and you never want to connect your photography to a style that can go in or out of fashion. When you've been involved in photography for a long time, you will know that this is the case and those styles are invariably aesthetic. So they don't really have any kind of strong foundation on which to build a photographic practice. So subject matter is another issue. What I hear is people saying, I want to photograph this and that, and I don't want to be tied down to one thing. Well, that's OK if you want to treat photography as a hobby, and that's fantastic, or you're, you know, you're an enthusiast photography, uh, photographer, I should say. But if you want to be a professional photographer, if you want to be commissioned, if you want to build a client base, that client base, those people who will commission you, need to identify you as being a certain kind of photographer. Now, that doesn't have to be landscape, still life or portrait. It needs to be around that subject. What are you interested in? What are your passions? What are your interests? because they're the things that you should really be documenting. I often ask people when I'm interviewing them to come on the photographic course that I run, you know, what's the difference, or what should, I should say, a food photographer really have a passion for? Should it be food or photography? Now, for my mind, that should be food. You can argue that it should be both, but actually, without that passion for food, then how are you going to understand that food when it looks right, how it should be made? How are you going to photograph it day after day, year after year, decade after decade? You have to have a connection with your subject matter. And then you need to convey that connection to your client through a portfolio of work or perhaps through the website or definitely through the website, through your social media, demonstrating your interests what you are a specialist on, what your knowledge is. Because all of that is the foundation for the photographic practice, if you want to establish one. And I think that's really the key here. If you want or feel the need to establish a photographic practice, you need to go deeper than just making photographs. If you just want to make photographs, that's absolutely fine. I have no problem with that. And I know a lot of you listening describe yourselves as enthusiasts, 
a hobbyist, amateur, all of those terms. Well, as long as you enjoy the medium, I have no problem with that at all. Have fun is the thing I say. To most people, I talk about photography too. When I am talking to young photographers, quite often they've never made that connection between the idea of taking photographs and who's actually going to pay them to make photographs. It's a difficult environment out there for professional photographers. A lot of people use the word commercial. I don't. I use the term commissioned photographers. Commissioned by clients, commissioned by brands. Therefore, when the environment is difficult, photographers have to work even harder to identify themselves as working as specialists and not generalists. And I think that's the world we're in today. There are a lot of generalists out there, but the specialists will always rise to the top, not only for their photographic images, but also for how they present themselves as knowledgeable around the subject matter that they're documenting. There is no doubt that this week's contributor to the podcast explaining to us what photography means to her in under five minutes documented her passion. And uh, I have to say, when I read people's bios, sometimes they can be a little bit of a list of clients and achievements. Well, when I read Virginia Turbot, for it is she who is contributing this week, I read her bio, um, it really made me, it made me feel connected to her, but also um, made me feel even sort of, I suppose, warmer towards her and her work. Maybe that's what a successful bio should do. Anyway, this is, um, this is what she wrote. Um, Virginia was born in 1957 in rural West Sussex and is a British rock music and social reportage photographer, best known for her photographs of bands, fans and street culture between the years of 1977 and 1987. Turbot was a dedicated and devout music fan who spent three nights in July 1967 crying into her pillow because her mum and dad wouldn't let her see the monkeys at Wembley Arena. In the summer of 1971, her life changed when she met three guys from Bristol who introduced her to David Bowie's Hunky Dory on a cassette in a tent on a North Cornwall clifftop. I went home and ordered the entire back catalogue, then advance ordered Ziggy Stardust, waiting for the albums to arrive in Baldwin's music shop in Midhurst or, after Virgin started, be delivered to my very rural home, was as exciting as Thursday mornings when I'd get off the school bus and go straight to the newsagent for my NME, my Bible. I would skip off school, pay all my babysitting money to go and queue for tickets at venues far away to get the best seats at the front. I loved Alex Harvey, Beefheart, Lou Reed, etc. But Bowie was the main man, and I saw him many times, including at Hammersmith on July the 3rd, 1973, when he killed Ziggy. In 1977, Turbot was asked by a good friend to photograph the Sex Pistols recording Pretty Vacant for Slash magazine. A year and many punk gigs later, a chance meeting with a sounds journalist led to a collaboration which lasted a few years. Photographing punk, rock, pop, heavy metal mods, new romantic skinheads, two-tone scar, reggae, the fan style and fashion of the time. 
At the same time, she was working on a left-wing paper photographing social and political stories. In 1979, she was asked by the editor of Smash Hits magazine to photograph features and interviews, and she continued working on the magazine until she gave up photography to look after her two children in 1987. Turbot contributed to many magazines of the 70s and 80s, including The Face, Sound, Smash Hits and Record Mirror, creating images of artists and musicians, including The Pistols, Clash, Blondie, Iggy, Andy Warhol, Frank Zappa and Nick Cave. Turbot now works from her home in South Devon, selling prints from her archive and contributing to publications, films and TV exhibitions and record covers. My name is Virginia Turbot and I was born in 1957 and I grew up in rural West Sussex. I went to two schools, a tiny primary school that had just two classrooms and the local comprehensive. I took O-levels and A-levels and it was all with absolutely no idea at all of where I was going. I was very precocious and felt far too cool for school most of the time. Thursday mornings was music press day and I'd been buying music magazines since Fab 208 and The Monkees in 1967 and um, I soon discovered that the NME was my bible. I absorbed every word in it and the photos took me into a world that I as a young teen could only dream of. I understood that the photos had a different impact from words on the page and were integral to telling a story on their own as well as part of text. I cut out photos, I stuck them in books on my bedroom wall, all over school exercise books and textbooks, like most other young people do. But I hadn't consciously made a connection that photographic imagery was meaningful and important to me, but I knew it offered glimpses into other worlds and contributed to the idea, the identity that I was growing into. And I left school after A-levels without a clue what to do, but with some ridiculous knowledge that the cosmos would somehow take care of me. Um, in my later teens, I had a boyfriend who'd been to art school and had art school friends who then became my friends. And in 1977, one of them got me along as a photographer on an interview with the Sex Pistols while they were recording their Pretty Vacant video. Um, and this was the first time I'd ever gone out with a camera other than just taking snaps. The boyfriend had an old battered 35mm Mamiya and gave me a lesson the night before and went off to do the pistols the next day. Had to go to a camera shop in Tottenham Court Road to get them to change the film. Had no idea. And that was the start of my working relationship with photography. Um, I then travelled for a bit and 15 months later I got a job training on a left-wing newspaper which really involved just a very brief tutorial um, to the darkroom by uh, network photographer John Sturrock and after that I was basically left on my own with instructions on the wall um, to crack on and at the same time I'd made a connection with a journalist on Sounds who uh, came from the same lefty background and asked me to work with him on features and gig reviews. So as I was learning how to develop film and make prints, I was also being published. So I came to photography with absolutely zero formal training. I definitely couldn't and still can't talk any of the tech talk. But I did have an instant love for the processes and yearning to be quite good at it. 
I vividly remember the first print I made. It was of my rabbit who ran free range during the day in my parents' garden. And I'd been lent some equipment from a socialist worker. It was a, a Canon and a 50mm lens. I lay on the grass and photographed the rabbit's face with his nose about six inches away from the lens. And as I developed, this was my very first print, the first thing to emerge in the tray was his out-of-focus whiskers and then his nose and then slowly the rest of his face and his ears. And this was magic and I was absolutely hooked. I still have that print. And I loved printing, though, um, like the TV programmes today that challenge people to use their skills under pressure and with far too little time, the, the pressure of often working through the night, post-gig and pre-printers meant that my prints were often not as I would have liked. Um, I've not had a darkroom now for 25 years and I've given away and lost hundreds and hundreds of handmade double-weight bromide prints. But every now and again I find one that kind of takes my breath away a bit in its beauty. And I remember that actually I could sometimes take a good image and I could make a nice print. I have an archive of rock music photographs, but the work I'm most proud of is my social and street photography. I came from being a fan, so I always photographed the fans and young people, the tribes that existed in the 70s and early 80s, and the risks and dangers going to and from and at gigs, as very often happened. You know, fights broke out. I remember one night running onto the railway tracks at Chalk Farm after one of the Sunday afternoon roundhouse gigs because as they left, the punks were changed by large groups of skinheads. And gigs could be really dangerous and people did get hurt for being dressed up in the wrong way or amongst the wrong crowd. So my other archive is social and street social photography and I photographed you know, slum housing, deportations, demos, picket lines, the anti-national front riots in Leicester and Southall, Asian and Sikh workers and communities fighting for equality and safety. And um, it was a job at the time. But now these photos are a record of social and political history. Digital photography is an extraordinary development in my lifetime and Photoshop is the most wonderful thing. But there is still nothing to equal the joy of holding up a handmade, fixed, stinking print hot off the dryer. And I don't get to gigs more than a few times a year these days, but when I do, I'm kind of saddened that so many people think it's okay to hold up their phones for the duration rather than just moving and grooving with the vibe I've photographed hundreds and hundreds of gigs, but I also, whenever possible, kept experiencing the, the magic of the live event without cameras. Uh, I would go as a fan, soak it up, get in the mosh pit, sing along loudly, dance. And you can't do that if you're constantly checking your phone. I was once on a dolphin watching boat off Ireland and a very small girl chastised the adults who were pushing and jostling to get photos and announced loudly, you should take photos with your mind, not with your camera. And I think she's right. I was very lucky that I lived at a time when we could, with no qualifications whatsoever, get into newspapers and magazines and be able to earn a meagre living doing something that I loved and was important to me. That I was able to amalgamate me as a music fan with earning money seemed like a very bizarre fairy tale. 
And my main influences at the time were the report photographers, many of whom went on to create Network, who I ran alongside at demos and picket lines and riots. And Chris Schwartz was a good friend, as well as Sid Shelton, who worked in Fairbedge Litho, producing temporary hoarding. I've never really considered myself a proper photographer, and it took me until very recently to appreciate that the pictures I took between 1977 and 1987 have become documents of social history and as such have a value that I didn't anticipate and only now appreciate. I love the work of Sebastian Salgado and the street photographers, but mostly I love snaps, people's snaps and albums. My house is full of snaps and there's only one framed photograph of mine, it's The Clash, on my walls. As a child, I've literally plastered my bedroom walls with pictures and posters of the monkeys cut out from Fab 208. Then I bought every magazine that had photos of Bowie and stuck them up. And now I have dozens of four by six snaps in photo wall hanging things of my family, animals, holidays. I also love seeing huge and wonderful photographic prints in exhibitions, but it's important to me not to be precious about photography. Snaps have as much value and beauty as an Ansel Adams print and they're all a record of a time and a place that will never be again and to me that's the key takeaway of a photograph. And someone I knew once said to me that um, the best photographs are always colour but I disagree with this. I think black and white feeds the imagination and enables our eyes and brains to Look at the dark and the light and the shadows and what is hidden and what is visible and what is exposed. And I think colour provides all the visual clues and gifts without nuance and mystery. And colour is wonderful for illustrative purposes and I appreciate the different effects of different films and processing, but my heart and soul will always be with black and white. And had I ever printed colour, maybe my relationship with the different processes would be reflected. But, you know, I love a black and white contact sheet, watching the time, the relationship, the light changing. It's extraordinary looking at films I took over 40 years ago and I can be transported right back to the event by going through the contact sheet again. We photographers tend to work on our own most of the time and it's a fairly solitary existence, days and nights in the dark room and scanning and cleaning now in Photoshop. So I believe it's really important to be in the union and I've been a member of the NUJ for most of the last 46 years and it's important that we talk to each other about rates, copyright, mostly abuse of that and what is going to happen to our work after our deaths now. We're all getting quite old. And I'm, I'm really grateful for people like Craig Atkinson at Cafe Royal Books who's enthusiastic to publish work from our archives. And much of it is rarely and often previously completely unseen. And that people are so kind and appreciate my work and always nice about my posts is, is a very lovely thing. And I think my role now is to get as much scanned as possible, which feels like it'll take three lifetimes, and to try and make it visible via my website so people can view it and enjoy it and hopefully occasionally buy it. And in the last few years since posting my work online, I've been contacted by friends and relations of the subjects of my work. 
And because I lost my notebooks long, long ago, I didn't know who these people were anymore. So it's very lovely to be told who they are and often what became of them. Thank you, Virginia, very much for your contribution this week. Slightly longer than expected, but I think you'll all agree, well worth hearing. Also so relevant, I think, as always, by coincidence, what I started off talking about at the beginning of this episode, and also something I've been talking a lot about on threads. Photography is memory made history. Take care.